Our text for this afternoon is taken from Luke chapter 6, the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. And so to understand the full scope of what he's been saying and teaching here, we're going to go back and read this sermon right from the beginning, verses 20 to 49. And as we do so, I would encourage you to, to follow along a little bit and see if you can picture the, the structure of the sermon in your mind. That introductory section, verses 20 to 26, and then the lead up, up that slope to the peak in verses 35 and 36, and then as it, as it comes down and continues to unfold over the rest of Christ's sermon here. So as we come here, Christ is again preaching in the countryside in Galilee. He's just appointed his disciples for himself. There is rising opposition to him in the form of those Pharisees who have raised themselves against him. And we come to his sermon, and you can find that on page 1187, verse 20 of chapter 6. There's a vast crowd of disciples and others around Jesus And it says here, then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners Lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. 
And then he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And here we come to the concluding words of our Lord in this sermon. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, autumn storms in Palestine come quickly. After a long, hot, dry summer like you find in the Middle East or perhaps in other countries around the world that you may have visited as well or lived in, the refreshing rains can bring new life to the land. But they do more than just bring life. They can also bring incredible destruction. As the heavy clouds are driven up the mountainside, the weight of water that they are carrying is released on the land. Streams become rivers, rivers become torrents, and what was a dry and dusty brook now overflows its banks and expands into village streets. And this would have been especially true in Galilee, where the region, the the countryside, was especially mountainous. The last thing you wanted in the face of that kind of a torrent was to have a house that didn't have a good foundation. The picture that Jesus gives here today is that his teaching is an image of that foundation. A man digs deep into the soil and lays the foundation of his house on the rock. He firmly fastens it. And with that kind of grounding, it's not going to go anywhere. On the other hand, the idea of the other kind of house that Jesus is describing would have been something that's somewhat familiar to the Galileans and perhaps to also others in the crowds who were included with his disciples at this point in time. And it wouldn't necessarily have been something that they expected to see in the real world. 
but it would have been a picture of something that they would have seen as the height of foolishness. It'd be a picture of someone who's not interested in following what just makes sense to everybody else. They don't want to build a foundation. They don't want to go through all of the effort. And so instead of sinking their foundation deep into the soil so that it's anchored on the rock, they build on top of the soil. As these autumn rains come down and flood the mountainside and it begins to erode the soil, it'll also start to run underneath and around this house. And suddenly this house is built on sinking sand. The soil turns to mud. Everything that was around the walls, which may have been firmly braced before, begins to totter and the house falls with a crash. The people who looked at the man who built that house sort of said, he deserved it. He lives in this countryside. He knows what autumn storms look like. And he did what he did just because he didn't feel like going through the effort of taking a bit more work and time to make sure that he is grounded on the rock. Now Jesus is taking what's common knowledge to everybody else in the crowd at this point in time. And he turns that into an image for his teaching. You know, he says, you know that you should listen to me. In fact, you acknowledge that by calling me Lord. You say, Lord, Lord. This was a sign of respect for someone's authority. It wasn't a declaration of the divinity of Christ at this point in time, but just a recognition of who he was. But if they were calling him Lord, then they're acknowledging that he does have authority. And if this is the case, he says, if you recognize that I have authority, you should anchor your life in what I teach. Because there will be storms that are coming. And these storms that are coming aren't just storms of regular difficulties, general difficult things that happen in life. But more specifically, it's going to be the men in verse 11. The Pharisees who were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They are the ones who are coming after them. These men, he says, who are filled with rage and who are plotting together. If your life isn't grounded in my teaching and in me, Jesus says, then when they come after you for being my disciple, you're going to collapse. You will fold. And what he says here only makes sense. If you're going to come to Jesus Christ and call him Lord, Lord, why would you not do what he says? If you come to Jesus Christ and you acknowledge him as having authority, why would you not do what he says? If you carry on in your own life, he says, carry on going in your own way, you're only going to add grief and pain by claiming his, him as Lord. You should be aware of that. Life won't get easier because you call him Lord. There is a storm coming. Now in the parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew where this is talked about, you'll notice something interesting. Matthew talks about this in terms of the end times. He's talking about this in terms of something that's going to happen at the end of days. That was the focus of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. 
when Matthew quoted it there. But here in the Sermon on the Plain, his focus is different. Yes, at the end times, there is a a storm, you might say, coming then, the final day of judgment. But he's talking about the here and now. This trouble will come. And we Christians know this to be true for ourselves as well. Yes, we don't have enraged Pharisees who are plotting to attack us. But the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And those who confess the name of Christ are an especially juicy target for him. It's not just him either. As we confess in our Heidelberg Catechism, the world and our own flesh, our own desires, join with the devil and don't stop attacking us. Those who confess the name of Christ won't have an easier time of it. Rather, they have a bullseye painted on them. And because of this, they need a firm foundation. It's for this reason that they need a firm foundation. Now, I want you to notice a few things in this passage. We read in verse 47, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you whom he's like. You see, three things coming to the foreground here, three things that we're going to focus on this afternoon, the coming, the hearing, and the doing. These three are three aspects that are important for when it comes to Jesus, one who calls him Lord. If you're going to call Jesus as Lord, if you're going to acknowledge his lordship, these are the three things that he calls you to do. In the first place, come to him. For the people in this crowd, they were coming from all around to hear him. This was something that was already there for them. You may remember if you were here on those Sundays when we dealt with the earlier parts of Jesus' sermon. Just prior to Jesus' sermon, you can see that he came down, he stood with a level place, and a huge crowd of his disciples, verse 17, and a great multitude of people from all around as well came. And it's to these disciples that he's preaching to, not just to his 12, but the huge crowd of his disciples. These are people coming from a huge variety of backgrounds to hear him. They have come to Jesus. This is the first part of being a Christian, of being a believer. This coming to Jesus is something that's important to reflect on. Because the importance of this first step is something that we sometimes lose sight of. We'll move ahead to the other parts of it. But when you come as a believer to Jesus Christ, you're coming to him, not in a physical sense today, but you are coming to Jesus to hear him speak through his word. And there are a couple different ways of doing this. First and foremost, there's the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the word. And we know this is important. In the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10, the Apostle Paul talks about how God works faith in the hearts of his people through the proclamation 
of the word. When we sit together and we worship God and and we hear the proclamation of the word, God works in our hearts in a special way as a community of believers. But it's not just on the weekends that we come to Jesus Christ to hear him. It's also from day to day. As we read his word, we are exposed to his word. We're exposed to his teaching. And this is another reason why personal devotions are so important as well and family devotions. You're coming to Jesus to hear him and you're coming in prayer to speak in response of him, to him. This is part of being a Christian. We also don't come to him alone. As families, we come bringing our children with us to meet Jesus. This is the second thought we ought to reflect on when we think about coming to Jesus. Do we bring our children with us? Well, I take them to church on Sunday. That is one way that you do it. But do your children understand? Do you speak with them about it? Do you help them to understand? Do you pay special attention in order to pick out the important parts that they might not understand? They won't always understand everything, but there can be some parts that you pick in particular to help explain to them. Or from day to day, do you lead them to Jesus? Maybe doing devotions at mealtime, maybe family worship in the evenings together, maybe before tucking them into bed. Do you read the Bible and talk with them about it? It's important for us to come to Jesus, to make it a habit to come to Jesus. And it's important for us as we are raising the next generation as well to make this a regular habit in their lives, to come to Jesus. The second thing that we see in our passage here today is that you don't just come to Jesus, but that you hear his words. You hear his words, you listen to him. When we come to Jesus in terms of coming, for example, to read his word, when we come to church and listen to what Jesus has to say for our lives, it can be easy to just lean back and close your eyes, to let your mind wander and drift. Even when you're sitting there and reading, to let your mind wander and drift. But if that's all there is to it, And you can be like the many who are coming to Jesus, to the presence of Jesus, just to be associated with him and tuning out what he had actually to say to them, calling him Lord, Lord. There were people in Jesus' day that did that too, which is why he had to say this to them. Not all of these crowds were there to follow him to the end. And he was the best preacher alive, the most perfect one. You can show up and also tune him out in another way. To show up and listen only to those things that you want to hear. One Bible teacher by the name of Dr. Pettingill made this remark. Most people, he said, don't want to know the will of God in order to do it. They want to know the will of God in order to consider it. That's the second way that you can come to Jesus, that you can approach Jesus without hearing him. If you come to him this way, you're just measuring what he has to say and picking and choosing and maybe, ah, 
leave the rest aside. You'd be like a person who sees the trouble that's coming ahead, who's, who's coming to the edge maybe of an airplane and who's, who's looking at the ground whipping below, hundreds of feet below you and you are about to jump out and you're looking at your parachute and you're like, I don't need this part. I don't think I'll need that part before you jump out. In the third place, he describes the Christian as then coming back to what Jesus says in the third place. He describes the Christian as not just everyone who comes to me and hears my words, but who also does them. James, the brother of Jesus, speaks about this in his New Testament letter as well. He says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. James 2 verse 18. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like what Jesus has been speaking about this time. He spent his whole sermon talking about the mercy of God and the grace of God, about reflecting that love and mercy as the image bearers of God. This was the absolute central point of his sermon, verses 35 to 36. He spent it talking about living for more than just this world, but living for a kingdom that goes beyond this world. And you can see that in those opening verses there. When he's talking about, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You who hunger now, for you shall be filled. You, when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you. He's talking about people who are living in the present and who are facing very real difficulties, and yet they are finding their strength in Jesus Christ, and they are thinking of a kingdom that lies ahead, of a kingdom that's coming. Compared to those whom he says woe to, who are living for the here and now, and that's all they're living for. And they are showing up to listen to Jesus, but that's all they are living for. People who find their satisfaction in this world receive their consolation. And in the second place, he talks about those who go he calls us to go beyond the ethic of this world in the second part of his sermon. We saw a little bit about that in verse 33. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And he goes to unfold what that looks like in your life. And then when you have people within your power to whom you could do harm, we saw a bit of that this morning. People who you could have control over and they've done wrong to you and this could be your time to work in response to them than to respond with good rather than evil showing the same mercy that God has shown to you. These are the things that he's pointing to. To listen and to do them. All of that is to be grounded in the mercy that God has shown you. This is what it means not to just come to him, but also to hear his words and to do them. But it's not to build up an impossible pile of things that we have to do. It's not to give us a list of things that we check off. Rather, when he calls you, when he calls you to follow him, to jump out of that airplane, you might say, holding tight to that parachute, 
This is for your benefit. And this is something to keep in mind. Because when you live out what Jesus has told you, when you live out what he has taught you, you are showing something to the world. You are showing the world that you are children of God. You're showing where your strength lies, that you are sons of the Most High. Verse 35. Remember that quote, that you are sons and daughters of the Most High. And then Jesus Christ is shown to be your foundation. You are trusting in Jesus Christ to carry out what he has promised to do for you. And when you do what Jesus has called you to, he will be there. He will be your foundation. When you step out in faith and when you face these things, when you live out what he calls you to, he will be there for you and he will ground you. This isn't something that you can expect for yourself if you just have as your focus I like being associated with Jesus. I like picking and choosing a few of the things that he has to say. I like hanging out with this crowd of disciples that are around him. If your focus is just on this world, and that's it, right? The difference between the two because we all act imperfectly. We all will act selfishly. And as that comes to light, we recognize that this is part of the road to sanctification, part of the road to being changed, being made holy day by day. But if your focus is just on this world and not carrying something out, is different from having a focus that's based solely on this earth. Struggling is different from having a focus that's based solely on this earth. But if your focus is based solely on this earth and your outward behavior just kind of models what Jesus has said, that's when we run into trouble. Because it's through having that foundation that we receive the benefits of Christ. If we're just outwardly going through the motions and taking and leaving, that's not a benefit to us. We'll have no stability, no foundation. But Christ is calling us to look to him in all that he says and promises for that foundation, showing us this out of mercy, out of grace, and out of love. You are going to need that strength and power that he offers, that he extends. Because you and I, we can't stand alone. We'll be just as ready to collapse as that house that's built on sand. But when you step out in faith and you actually hear, you actually come here and do what Jesus has called you to in his strength, looking to each other for help and support along the way, leaning on him 
because you have him as Lord and you have this greater kingdom perspective in mind more than just this short life on earth. If your life is not just focused on this world and you want to go beyond that because Jesus is Lord, however imperfectly you do that, then you can step out in faith and know that you have that rock-solid foundation that he speaks about, being certain that it is there because he's promised it to you. And when you doubt, you can look back when you're in the midst of it and you're feeling like you're afloat. You can look back and be reminded of your baptism, you adults and you boys and you girls. Your baptism is a sign and seal of that promise. That when the storms come and the storms rage, that he will be there for you that he will be your foundation. This is his promise. As the old hymn goes, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen.